0: And I often laugh and chuckle at the people who love to say, hope's not a strategy. And that's used in sports. It's been used in the Ukraine war. It's been used uh, in government and business, certainly. I've come to believe that in the absence of hope, there's a good chance strategy is not going to be educated, executed very well.
1: change with me okay thank you jim thank you so much for joining me i am pleasure thank you I'm so excited to actually have that. We've been talking about a lot of different things recently, and we talked about your beautiful book, and you were kind enough to send me a copy of it, and I've enjoyed reading it. I love to interview authors who have been, kind of been really been through it with, you know, the whole addiction recovery, codependency recovery, anything to do with recovery and especially when people take the time to take their wisdom and put it into written form and use their voice to really help other people maybe transform their pain into purpose, which is my mission statement for giving voice to recovery because so many people right now are going through so much with the fentanyl, epidemic, the opioid crisis, which kind of started this ball rolling. But, you know, long before that, you know, people, I think, have struggled with family members, loved ones who get stuck in the rung of the addiction cycle, active addiction, which really, if you haven't been through it, I'll just tell you, it's it's hell on earth, not just for the person going through it, internally their own world but for their loved ones watching helplessly trying to change things they have no control over so so Jim I always like to start my podcast with a person's pivot point so in your book you talk about codependency and coming to terms with being a codependent and so I I want to start with that what was your pivot point where what was that point when you went oh wow lights on I need to change.
0: Well, again, Elizabeth, thank you for having me on the, the podcast today. I, I think that's a, a great opening question. And it's one that requires courage and honesty, at least from me, it did. Because for a long time, I didn't want to admit that I was a codependent and that I didn't really have any issues and problems. And I realized, no, that's not the case, that uh really, a big part of my problem in life and a way to get better, you know, in the world of quality improvement and it is about continuous improvement. It's to start with self-awareness and it's to accept the fact that, hey, things aren't working the way I would like them to work. Uh, and rather than blaming someone else or looking for someone else that you do something and that fixes my problem, I realized, uh, I had to become uh, accountable for what are the things that trip my trigger uh, and get my energy flowing in a way that's negative and not what it should be. And so that's really the pivot point for me, Elizabeth.
1: A lot of people, well, first of all, let me back up just a little bit. What is your definition of a codependency? I, I, I'm reluctant to like label us as a codependent or an addict and the reason i'm reluctant to that because words obviously are my my thing and words are very powerful and i believe that labels can help us identify a problem or a challenge but they don't need to identify our complete identity because that locks us into a a place and time and circumstance when in reality we absolutely and I see it all the time, I see it in myself, and I see it in everybody around me, we're constantly changing, and hopefully we're evolving instead of devolving. What is your definition of codependency?
0: For me, again, it's engaging in behaviors, either consciously or subconsciously, that I really, at the end, know that they're probably not going to be positive and productive, and they're going to lead to a negative outcome. So that's what I, that's how I think about being codependent. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. For And for me, just to kind of elaborate on what, where you're at with that is, it's really, for me, it's when I'm really over-invested in other people's problems or other things that I have no control over and I put all of my energy into something that I have no power, no control, and usually no responsibility in, and therefore I end up like what you're saying, really kind of empty-handed. And and usually I go into a my my go-to is to go to a blame. So yeah, that's a really unresourceful state, obviously. And so yeah, it ends up in unhappiness. So what made you decide you've written this book called Hope for Life? being your best self when you need it most. What was the impetus to write this book?
0: So the the honest answer to that was I was actually on a different path. I was writing a book about thriving in life through transition, all kinds of transitions, job, death, divorce, promotion. Um, And of course, the country's been going through tremendous uh, post-pandemic transition issues and all of that's associated with it. I was at a point where I was writing a book about how to how to primarily thrive through transition in life and have a more productive life when I went through a significant uh loss with one of my sons. And through his addiction, um I realized when I lost Sean, my son, and that's who the book is really dedicated to that um, the whole tone of the book needed to change. I had come upon a number of different people who contributed stories of ordinary people living life in an extraordinary way because they had hope in life. It could be people that were going through Caring Bridge, that organization, on a health life health journey. It could be someone else who's um, you know caring for. Um, Uh, an ill parent, whatever the case may be, they're maybe doing some caregiving in life. And that they approached it from a very hopeful, heartfelt kind of a perspective. Mm -hmm. But when Sean passed away, I realized that the book needed to be a different book, that it could maintain many of the heartfelt stories about hope, but that it also needed to be about, at my darkest moments, Uh, When everything seems to be gone, I can still choose to be hopeful. In fact, Pope Francis in his book about dreaming uh, talked about that, that we can still be hopeful, we can still choose to hang on to even a small glimmer of hope. And so that then became chapter 12 in the book, which is called The Resurrection of Hope, which is a rebirth um, for some people, but for me, it's a reclaiming of healing through hope, um, and so that's how it ended up being the state that it ended up being in.
1: I think you said a couple of things that really that I want to um, I, I find really interesting. One is that you know some people will put and you talk about this in your book hoping and wishing in the same category. There's a totally different quality to hope in my experience. I agree. And, yeah, and I believe that without in the, in, in the world of recovery and people recovering from addiction, if you have resources but you don't have hope, you're not going anywhere. Right. If you have no, no hope or if you have hope but no resources, you're not going anywhere. It's almost like you need pain, hope, and resources to line up in the perfect trifecta. And so I thought that was really interesting um, how you differentiated the difference between hope and wishing. And I, I'd like you to elaborate on that because I think that that's such a key distinction and a lot of people, I think, clump those two together and, and they're really very different.
0: So one of the things I admire about you and your work, Elizabeth, that you are a thought leader in recovery. I'm, I'm not, but... My world is really business and uh, human working and human resources. And I often laugh and chuckle at the people who love to say, hope's not a strategy. And that's used in sports. It's been used in the Ukraine war. It's been used uh, in government and business, certainly. I've come to believe that in the absence of hope, there's a good chance strategy is not going to be educated, executed very well. And that's because at some point, to execute a strategy, you've got to have people doing it. And people have to have a belief, an inner foundation to move forward. In business, people often will say, you know, if you don't have hope, well, they'll say hope is not a strategy. And I've come to believe that hope is the foundation for strategy, execution, because ultimately, who executes strategy? People. Otherwise, it's a plan either on electronic file or on paper. And so ultimately you can have the greatest game plan in the world. But if players aren't hopeful that it's going to work, they may put a half-hearted effort into it. So I've come to believe that maybe when they say hope isn't a strategy, those are those are people that only have wishful thinking. I hope I lose 10 pounds by Christmas. Gee, I wish that I could be two inches taller. Uh, I wish I had a better job. Yeah, those are wishes. Those are false hopes. But true hope um, really comes from an inner belief in your faith, having faith in what you hope for, uh, uncertain about what the the future might be. I just have this deep-seated belief, this faith that things are going to be better. That tomorrow can be better than today, without necessarily having a, a guarantee. Uh, one of our famous baseball players in, in Minnesota, Kirby Puckett, used to say that: "That today doesn't guarantee tomorrow, so you better be the best person you can be today." Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the what I tried to touch on in the book and the the feelings I tried to convey to readers when they read it.
1: I I, I love this idea, and I I just want to add on a yeah. little. <laughs> I, I think we live in a world where, pe- where people say this or that, and in reality, it's this and that. Right. So it's we need hope and we need strategy. And I think you're spot on when you say, how well can you execute a strategy if it's hopeless? Who's gonna sign up for that, right? right. So the point is that you go into strategy with the hope that this is the best strategy and that it will work and possibly some beliefs that say, and as we are on that journey, we will figure it out and keep that hope alive. I I think hope is an essential ingredient, but is it enough to get you there? No, it's, but it's the ingredient. It's one of the ingredients of, of making something happen. Absolutely. You have to have a strategy tactics. You have to take action. That's, that's true about anything in life. We we have to animate toward what we want. We can't just sit here and think it's going to come to us. It just doesn't work like that. But without hope, nobody's going to try. And I think we fall into despair. And you'd mentioned all the change that people have been going through and a lot of loss that people have gone through over the last several years. Yeah, I th- I think there is a almost kind of a... <laughs> epidemic of hopelessness, we have that hope has no value. It's just really not true. When in reality, that's the very thing we need to be plugging into right now. So I I love that message.
0: And I think, uh, to build on your thought, Elizabeth, I think the language of hope, and self awareness and giving yourself little pep talks. uh, For me, in the absence of having hope, it's hard to come up with something positive to say about yourself and we're bombarded daily with so much information. Uh, some of it true, some of it false, some of it positive, some of it's negative. Mm-hmm. Again, for me, the anchor in life to put what I'd like to call wind in my own sails uh, on the seas of life, if you would, using a sailing metaphor, it's it's hope. It's just that, that sense that I know it's not for sure, but I just have this feeling, this this belief. And then I take action.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the ways to, for me that I use around hope is something you employed in your book. And that is when we ask ourselves better questions, we get better answers. So when I ask questions like, oh, why does this always happen to me? <laughs> like negative, right? I'm gonna get a negative answer. But if right. I ask myself, what what could be good about this what could be what could be going on here and i open that up the possibility hope and possibility are kind of like best friends right Mm -hmm. (laughs) They hang out together because when i'm hopeful when i ask myself what's possible what could this mean instead of why does this always happen to me i'm going to get a really different answer so i think the quality of our questions really does direct our thinking So that's one of the things you use in your book is you have this little section at the end of every chapter hopeful secrets and you have these questions what what are you hopeful for today. What, what are you grateful for in life? I love hope and gratitude are two of the principles of the 12-step programs, which is my road to recovery. In all of my literature, I always mention this, and I'll mention it here, is that I respect all roads to recovery. I just talk about the one that I utilize, which mm-hmm. is the 12-step programs, multiple, and I don't speak to them directly um because of traditions but i i do list all of them on my website so if somebody needs to go find that free resource to get going in the area of recovery i always like to point them there um there's a ton of help to be had and so and if that's not your path and you need another path there's also resources for that so i just want to put that in there for the website go check that out if you need to to go find that there's also resources for codependency and so i I do a lot on on both of those subjects addictions of all kind 12 steps codependency but there's a lot of help to be had but i love this little um this little uh hopeful secret section that's really that's very cool i want to jump ahead in your book a little bit and you talk about the power of purpose you start your chapter off by finding true north and finding your your purpose, and you, and you make the um, analogy to a, a compass. I love this idea because this is really where I try to live, is on purpose. And I think that without purpose, um, you talk about the changing times, and when we go, you know, making a decision 10 years ago might hold until things really radically change. And we're going through a time, I think I can speak for modern life in general, it seems that we're going through some very radical changes. So I love this concept of having to refine this true north. And you start off by really encouraging people to look at what they love, and then can they love what they do. So Mm -hmm. do what you love. But for me, it's not just do what I love. It's once I'm doing what I love, Love what I do, love, like, give love to everything I do. And I get pulled in a lot of directions. So I have to be consciously, how much, where do I want to give that energy? Constantly, you've known me for a little while now. So you know I'm very conscious of that. But that's because of this. It's because of purpose. It's because of what I know I need to and want to give love to. And when you live on purpose, that really does propel you to a hopeful direction and it makes it easier to you know to move toward that. So can you speak to the that concept and and, and what and where what inspired you to write about that in this context?
0: Sure. There were two components, uh, Elizabeth, that really um that really inspired me. One um a former mentor of mine, he's passed away now, uh, Dr. Merritt Norvell, helped me become a partner with him with a program with the NCAA men's uh, athletics uh, around a program called the Ethnic Minority Leadership Institute. Mm -hmm. And one of the themes that was part of the program, a year-long leadership institute sponsored by the NCAA with participants attending from various universities, was this idea that in life, if you don't know what you stand for you tend to stand for nothing Mm -hmm. Uh, and of course there's lots of examples about whether it's biblical and building the foundation of a house or the late Stephen Covey and the seven habits talking about the foundation of of life if it's built on concrete and solid foundation it the house can withstand uh storms and boy have we had our share of hurricanes recently but if it's built on shifting sands once adversity comes along it all crumbles so finding true north in life is both simple and complicated for some people people who are religious they might say god's going to point the way for others of us who aren't perhaps nature helps for me it was it was prayer meditation insightfulness mindfulness and really focusing on what is my purpose? Some people might call it a calling. Um, and then out of that, are there certain principles, not a big book of things, but are there some values, some things that I really want to live by? And that's what I tried to put forth in that part of the book. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I love this conversation because I think a lot of people feel like they, if they don't have some standout developed talent at birth, which some people have. I mean, some people show, you know, like I showed musical talent early in life. Some athletic people I know did. But not everybody has that. And that doesn't mean that that's even somebody's calling either. I mean, what we describe in big box, right? I mean, yes, your talent should probably be a clue. But what you do with that is very, it could really be 20 different directions. So that emotional intelligence really lends itself to finding purpose. And what I mean by that, and I think you you tap into this in the book, and it's really coming from a heart-centered space. And I think a lot of times for people who have been um, in some kind of an addictive pattern, if it be uh, a substance itself or a behavioral, which codependency is a Uh, complex of addictive patterns where we're other focused to the point of we're trying to control the outside, right? We're trying to move the chairs on the deck, you know, moving the chairs around on the, the Titanic. The thing I love that you come back to that I try to work with people when I'm talking to different people and just through the podcast and through my music really is I've had to learn to be very, I call it being a deep sea diver, a person who's not afraid to go deep into feelings now i've had to work at learning how to really line up my thinking my my feet my emotions and my behaviors that's what my definition of congruency is that's what my definition of emotional intelligence is that when i know what i think i know how i feel and i know what i need mm. and that need is very resourceful from it's an inside job where i'm going internally that's where I find my answers. That's where I find purpose. Purpose to me is, why am I on this planet? What am I, there's a lot of effort that goes into, I love life and there's a lot of effort that goes into life, right? So what's the purpose of this, right? But when I know, when I love another person or when I love doing something or being able to do something, or being the person that gets to do something, to me, those are the clues. Those being in love with the the process of life—that's when you get into the really good stuff. Is like loving to see the lights go on in somebody's eyes. Or for me, it's when somebody uh, hears one of my songs and they're you—they're emotionally moved to the point where I know I help them shift their heart mm-hmm. and. That's what I hope to always do. That's what I live to do. What What's your suggestion, because we don't give advice here, but we suggest, what do you suggest when people feel blocked in their hearts because maybe they've been traumatized or they have been in a state of hopelessness for a long time? What, what are some, I, you mentioned prayer, you mentioned meditation, but what if somebody is feeling very, very disconnected from their heart? And they're almost afraid to come back to that. You mentioned good therapists in the mm-hmm. recovery world when you were going through your situation with your son. What are some things that you learned along the way that you might share with people?
0: I, I think you you hit on one. It's um and something I'm working on for myself is just this idea of acceptance, Elizabeth, and not necessarily agreeing with circumstances but accepting it and that allows me to learn to in aikido terms flow with the energy that's coming at me rather than fight freeze in place or free freeze so that's a kind of a place to start this idea of disciplining if you would our mindset um, and being more open to possibility the next thing is if you can get to that point I think that opens up the possibility to have a, a conversation with a loved one, a buddy, a friend, where you can learn to start, or therapist, expressing how you feel about things, that you can learn to name certain things. I'm feeling angry. Okay, it's not at you, it's at a behavior. And it, that opens up possibility in language too. So that sense of awareness acceptance uh conversation I think I put something in the book called the life Choice Matrix and I used a metaphor for wind in your sail or anchor in your tail in uh, and a, and a sailing idea that sometimes we have to create our own wind in in the U.S I think there's an idea and certainly in businesses we're always moving forward We've got to move forward but sometimes, the strategic move is to learn to take a step back after we pause in the moment or to take a step sideways, or perhaps, you know, we climb a tree to get a better view of the world, metaphorically speaking, if you would. I think it's, it's thinking that I don't have to necessarily move forward. The right move might be for me just to hit the pause button and to think. And to your point, another skill I think is asking some questions. And that's why I tried to create a a flow in the book that is a conversation with the reader. Um, What do you think is possible in this moment? Um, If you had a certain feeling, how might that change things? Why are you feeling this way? Um, And so I think stopping and pausing and reflecting sometimes is an important next step that opens up new possibilities.
1: Yeah, I I love that you start with acceptance. Acceptance, nothing can change without accepting what is. And I think that I was talking, in fact, it's funny that we are talking about this today. I was actually having a personal conversation with a close friend who was struggling with acceptance around the death of somebody that she and I both love. And acceptance doesn't mean I like it, Acceptance doesn't mean I chose this. (laughs) Acceptance means I I accept that this is the reality that is, and I'm going to stop fighting with it, being reality. And because when I can when I can own what is the objective reality of a situation, because we all have our subjective realities, but I'm talking about objective reality. When we can all own the same objective reality, life works way better. First of all, but when we do that, it's not approval. I mean, the universe is not waiting for me to say, "Hey, I vote for this." It's accepting what is, so that I can see what else there is. Right. Because when I'm fighting what is, I can't see anything else. It all looks bad. But when I can accept it, usually with a lot of, um, you know, a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of doodles all over something I've accepted. I've turned it over, I've looked under it, I've done all my stuff. All the energy of resistance. But that's where the pain is too. Is the resistance of non-acceptance is what's so painful. And and I'm not talking necessarily this is this is in a grief situation. That is a process that takes time, and it takes self-reflection, and it take. And, and I'm telling you, right? I mean, you probably could write a whole book just on that. The point of acceptance isn't to like it any better. It's just to. It's just you can't change it if you don't own it. You can't see any other good possibility if if you wash, whitewash it as like this whole negative thing. There are gifts in everything. I really do believe that.
0: And excuse the the interruption, uh, Elizabeth. One of the things I try to make the point in leadership seminars and business is for effective leaders today, there is also this acceptance of feedback that if I genuinely are interested in our working relationship and I ask you, what could I do, Elizabeth, uh, to further your aspiration, which also includes, you may be telling me, well, Jim, stop talking so much and start listening more. I may not like that, but in the absence of knowing that, there's there's no possibility that I'm ever really gonna be as good a leader for you and with you because I don't know what it is you really want. And I think for all of us, again, to accept life as it is, and do the best we can and for some people it's just putting one foot forward and then the next foot and you just take one moment at a day and keep moving forward and accept those little wins as um you know you're on the right path and those are those are important
1: and you 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 speak to this and when you're talking about coming to terms with your own codependent patterns right you're saying, Oh, no, no, that's not me, not me, not me. Whenever I'm going not me, not me, not me, I am intelligent enough to know and have done enough work on myself to know, oh, that's a big red flag kind of trying to get your attention. The not me is usually the part of me that I'm still disowning and not accepting. And yet so many what I've learned and what I take from your book that you've learned is and that I want to share with everybody is that those parts of us that we disown have a lot of really important information about your overall path and purpose and happiness long-term. And, and I think acceptance is the key that allows us to let that be true. What, what if it was true? What if it was true? Now that I know that could it be different? Cause if I can't change it, I can't own it. I can't change it. If I can't own it. I cannot change it just like a renter in a house can't decide they want you know to put on an addition on the building without getting a lawsuit right well if you don't own it you don't get to change it and that's right. exactly true for our internal world i really you know it's as a person in long term recovery all these years um you know probably the biggest one of the biggest things i've had to accept is i am 100 percent responsible for me for me. And so I think when we're in, you know, change, we're in that, that change, that, that hallway of the old doesn't work anymore. The new hasn't shown up yet. I might be grieving the loss of somebody that you, that I love. What's life even like without that person? Or it might be, what's, who am I without that job? Or it might be, who am I without that partner? All those life changes, it, when we're going through them, to stay, to, to plug back into the possibilities, I think is really what your, what your book addresses. Um, so I want to ask, how can people find out more about you and more about your lovely book?
0: Uh, you can get the book on amazon.com. Uh, I'll I have put a, a link. Web-
1: I will put a link into the notes.
0: Yes. and I, I have a, a website for the book, um, Hope for Life book, or it's www.hopeforlifebook.com, book.com. And then you can find me on LinkedIn as well. So all your, your viewers out there that um, know about LinkedIn as a social media, you can find my profile there. And if you uh, reach out to me, we can connect.
1: Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. And then too, um, and you, you're, I'm going to put your bio and all that up there, but you also work with businesses and you work with groups primarily around these types of concepts. And you're also a person in uh, recovery from codependency. So you you can speak to that as well. And do you do some public speaking events? I do that.
0: Yes. I give presentations and work with groups, as you mentioned, and awesome. deliver a variety of online training and workshops and, um, all under the theme of, you know, personal growth, development, improvement Awesome. with hope.
1: Yes. The big, the big ingredient. Well, I have loved talking to you, Jim. And, um, yeah, I, um, I've really enjoyed this book. Thank you so much for sending it to me my and reaching pleasure. out to me. Um, and I hope that um, the people listening will find their way to this. It's it's a really beautiful little read. It's not, I always mark my book. So just, mm-hmm. this is a compliment. When you see this is a compliment. I appreciate it. <laughs> I also color all over them. I'm very, I'm my inner child loves to play with color. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> So anyway, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I really appreciate you, Jim. Thank you so much for spending time with us.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth, for having me.
1: will change with me